0: Welcome to Legal Toolkit, bringing you the latest legal trends and business initiatives to help you manage your law firm with your host, Jared Korea, You're listening to Legal Talk Network. Hey,
1: everybody. Welcome to another episode of the award-winning Legal Toolkit podcast here on the Legal Talk Network. If you're looking for mutated sea bass, you want Dr. Evil's lair. If you're a returning listener, welcome back. If you're a first-time listener, hopefully you'll become a long-time listener. As always, I'm your show host, Jared Correa. I'm also an American tourist, and I demand a McPoulay. That and in addition to casting this pod, I am the CEO of Red Cave Law Firm Consulting, which offers subscription-based law practice management consulting services for law firms, bar associations, and legal vendors. Check us out at redcavelegal.com. And then I'm the COO of Gideon Software Inc., which offers chatbots, a first-to-market chatbot builder, and predictive analytics created specifically for law firms. Find out more at www.gideon.legal. You can listen to my other, other podcast, The Lobby List, a family travel show I host with my wife, Jessica, on iTunes. Subscribe, rate, and comment. But here on Legal Toolkit, the podcast you're listening to. Right now, we provide you twice each month with a new tool to add to your own legal toolkit so that your practices will become more and more like best practices. In this episode, we're going to talk about legal technology culture in law firms, legal departments, and pretty much everywhere else we can find it. But before I introduce today's guests, and that's right, we have two guests today, let's take a moment to thank our sponsors. Nexa, formerly known as AnswerOne, is a leading virtual receptionist and answering service provider for law firms. Learn more by giving them a call at 800-267-9371 or online at www.nexa.com. Scorpion crushes the standard for law firm online marketing with proven campaign strategies to get attorneys better cases from the internet. Partner with Scorpion to get an award-winning website and ROI-positive marketing programs today. Visit scorpionlegal.com forward slash podcast. TimeSolve is the number one web-based time and billing software for lawyers. Providing solutions since 1999, TimeSolve provides the most comprehensive billing features for law firms big and small. www.timesolve.com. That's T-I-M-E-S-O-L-V. Leave out the final E. We've got two guests today, as I said. Let's get into it. Like Bruce Bogtrotter gets into chocolate cake. My first guest today is Stuart Barr of HiQ, where he is the Chief Product and Strategy Officer. Stuart has a diverse background in collaboration, social computing, process improvement, and digital transformation in the professional services industry, having previously worked at leading organizations, including Freshfields, Bruckhaus, Derringer, Hayes PLC, and Headshift. Stuart has a Bachelor of Science in Business Administration from the Cardiff Business School and is an international speaker, author, and thought leader with a passion for transforming the way people work. Welcome to the big show, Stuart. Hi, Jared. Thanks for having me. Oh, my pleasure. My next guest works with Stuart. It's Rob McAdam, also of IQ, and he's the director of Legal Solutions. Rob is an experienced legal technology and innovation consultant specializing in the design and creation of digital solutions to help law firms and corporate legal teams transform the delivery of legal services. Rob is based in London. Before joining IQ in 2017, he was a group innovation manager for and milsons as part of their award-winning smart delivery team, Rob regularly contributes for organizations and publications such as the ACC, Clock, The Lawyer, Bloomberg, Corporate Counsel, and Law 360. Welcome aboard, Rob. Thanks, Jared. Nice to be here. Hey, Rob. Is that real? The Lawyer? There's like a publication called The Lawyer. It's pretty impressive. Yeah, no, it's The
2: The Lawyer. Yeah, it's one of that. the big
1: ones here. Oh, over in the UK. <laughs>
2: yeah, right. yeah, yeah. They run they run events. They're, oh, they're pretty right. big. I guess
1: I should read some of that. I must be. I must expand my worldview. Hence. Gentleman appearing on the show. All right, Stuart, Rob, you're both British guys, so i like to start off with an icebreaker. And this is an important question that I'd like to get answered. Who's the better English bear? Is it Winnie the Pooh or Paddington? And let's start with Stuart on this one.
3: Oh, that is a tricky question. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I guess, do you, do you like honey or do you like marmalade sandwiches? Um, I, I'd, probably go, I'd probably go for the honey, so it's got to be Winnie the Pooh.
1: All right, nice. Uh, Rob, do you differ or do you agree?
2: Uh, no, I, I, I differ, as Stuart and I Ooh. probably often do. But uh, Paddington, it's got to be Paddington. I find Winnie the Pooh just dull. So uh, yeah, dull. Paddington all the way.
1: All right, man. We're off to a hot start here. <laughs> I'm really excited. <laughs> Thanks for clearing that up for me. I appreciate it. I'll have to think about which one I choose. I like both. All right, so Rob, let's start with you here. How did you and Stuart meet? Because I think you have an interesting story about how you ended up working together.
2: Uh, yeah, so actually I was um I was a client at HiQ. So I uh I, when I was at Pinson Masons we were we were using HiQ and I think Stu and I probably first met at one of the conferences. Obviously there's, there's so many kind of legal tech conferences, but I think we we met at one of them and then followed that up with a kind of face-to-face meeting where we kind of got into the nuts and bolts about product roadmap and what I I was building in HiQ and I think we kind of hit it off quite well um and that was the kind of that's really how we met and then uh, a little while later i was asked to go and present at the annual haiku forum as a client and then shortly after that was uh, lucky enough to be offered a position at haiku and so I ended up jumping the fence and going fender side
1: fender side what does that mean i, I, I want to learn a lot of british slang in this episode can you guys accommodate that
2: Yeah, I mean, but it's just, it was just more about, you know, obviously I was kind of on the client side, just, just working with the product and, uh, interacting with Haiku, you know, through their client success teams. But this just allowed me to kind of get over the fence. And then, uh, you know, since joining Haiku, I've been involved in, you know, marketing, product management, solution consulting, but professional services. It's just, it's fascinating to see how it actually works under the hood. Yeah. Yeah. Not just from, you know, not just from a kind of a client side.
1: And this is better than law practice, right? Hands down.
2: <laughs> yeah. Hands down. Uh, you know, I don't get me wrong, I'm I'm, I'm pleased that, you know, I, I qualified as a lawyer and was a lawyer for a period of time. I think it sets you up really well, but you know, it is a big lifestyle commitment and I just find technology and innovation and change in the industry far more interesting than 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 spending time till two, three o'clock in the morning trying to do deals.
1: Yeah, move a little faster as well. Yeah, um, yeah. So, Stewart was Rob lying about any of that? Did he like spill a drink on himself the first time you met? him? Well, obviously,
3: someone? when he was a client, I had to make sure that I was nice to him, and so you know, clearly, clearly, <laughs> I, I, you know, bigged him up. But uh, no, no. Um, actually, you know, I, I do. I remember the first time I I met Rob uh, when he was at Pinson's and um, he, they were doing some great stuff back then, and and the firm continues to do some great stuff. Um, and you know, it's it. We love it. We always love it when we see our clients doing, you know, doing innovation and and clever. Stuff on on our platform. That's that. Ultimately, that's why we build the platform. So, it's always great to meet uh, those kinds of clients that are taking things to to a new new level.
1: That's interesting. Um, and that's really cool that that's how this all came together between the two you guys. Um, so Stuart, can we expand a little bit on this question and um, talk a little bit about the difference between the UK where you guys are working in the US? I'm out of the United States, and I personally feel that the UK is so much more progressive in the way they manage their approach to legal services than folks in the US are. Do you have any insight into why that's the case?
3: It's it's a good question, and it, to be honest, it gets talked about quite a bit um, inside IQ. Um and you know, it's something that we we often contemplate. You know, what are the differences and why? Um, I, I think uh, there's no there's no obvious uh, single reason. I think it's a, a, a confluence of things, but one one thing that I think is is definitely uh, a contributing factor as to why the UK has been, I guess. Forced perhaps to evolve at a at a quicker rate, is there's just there's more competition here, uh, and I think you know you've got various different firms, um, particularly the you know the, the big international firms based here in London, that have come under quite a lot of pressure um, over the last few years in particular to uh, deliver a better. Uh, service to their clients under more pricing pressure, um, new types of law firms, uh, you know, smaller uh, sort of more boutique startup firms, but also uh, you know alternative legal service providers um, putting pressure. So when you look at that legal landscape here in the UK, it's I think it's more complex and more challenging for the for the firms um, to remain profitable um, if they don't adapt and react to the market conditions. And you just don't see that quite the same level of pressure. Uh, In the US, Uh, I think there's more legal work to go around, around and and there's probably a a little bit less pressure. But it is changing. We do see the US market sort of following the UK uh, to that, you know, to the extent that it it, it is evolving. And clients there we we see are more interested now in some of the things that UK firms have perhaps been doing for a little while to to become more efficient uh, and effective at delivering services to their clients in a more transparent and, and modern way. So. I, I'd say those are probably the reasons, and, and we're definitely seeing the U.S. catch up now and a lot of interest in the sorts of things that we
1: do. Yeah, slowly but surely, right? And yeah, I think the competition drives innovation. So there you go. Um, now, Rob, let's turn back to you for a second. Let's talk a little bit about one aspect of the innovative approach to legal services in the U.K. Um, what has been uh, the impact of ABS in the U.K.? And then do you want to explain a little bit about what that is as well?
2: Yeah, so I think you know, just the in terms of that kind of uh, those those alternative business structures, I think you know it's been an interesting one. I think the impact of them was probably overstated. You know, about ten years ago, when you know everyone was worried about the kind of encroaching ownership from from non-lawyers in the legal in the legal sector, Um, I don't think that's transpired. Uh, I think some of the kind of scare stories probably haven't come to pass. I think you know we are seeing some impact. For example, you know the, some of the big accountancy firms like uh, you know KPMG or EY are now branching into or, or branching back into legal services. I think they've tried it before in the past. We've got kind of high street names and um, big brand high street names that are kind of dipping their toe in legal services as well. And then obviously we've got law firms that are that are restructuring and you know even you know floating on on the stock market and doing IPOs. So, you know, I think there's there's different ways we've seen um, it play out. Um, I think it's it's all good developments. I think it plays into that environment that Stu's just referenced about the kind of heightened competitiveness. I think that's good. It's driving competition in the market. Um, you know, you've got, got the, the accountancy firms doing some very interesting things, legal services. I think the, the IPO is being done by law firms. There's obviously freeing up additional funding, allowing them to be a little bit more forward thinking, brave in the way that they're, you know, tackling markets and new markets and, 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 um, you know, doing things like innovation. So I think it's, um, probably not been exactly as people thought it would play out, but I think it's been, been a positive change and it's, it's developing slowly.
1: That's good. All right. So everybody in the U S when this happens and it will happen, don't be scared. So we're off to a good start here. Uh, but we've got to take a break. We got to go make that paper. So here are some of the things that you should buy you feel like your marketing efforts aren't getting you the high value cases your firm deserves for over 15 years scorpion has helped thousands of law firms just like yours to attract new cases and to grow their practices as a google premier partner and winner of google's platform innovator award scorpion has the right resources and technology to aggressively market your law firm and to generate better cases from the internet for more information visit scorpionlegal.com forward slash podcast today all right, everybody, thanks for not leaving. I have a nice gooseberry pie cooling just for you. And I'm here chatting with Stuart Barr and Rob McAnam of IQ. We're here to talk about tech culture in law firms. Um, all right, guys, let's drill down a little bit to some nuts and bolts here. So Rob, I'll kick it off with you again. How does legal technology tend to promote collaboration within a law firm? Because I think you hear a lot of people talking about how technology actually divides in a law firm, especially on generational lines.
2: Yeah, it's an interesting one. I I think that comes whether it divides. I think comes down to the quality of the products and the way it was implemented. Um, But I think in terms of you know how it's having an impact to promote collaboration, I guess it, it comes back to what what tools we're talking about. As a lawyer, you know, if I think back to what was available to me in a law firm to help me collaborate, you know, really it was Outlook, and you know that's a tool that is not really designed for team collaboration. You know, email wasn't designed for Allowing lawyers, you know, within their teams, across teams, or even, you know, with with outside, you know, with that with their clients, to actually collaborate. And I think um, what we're seeing now is kind of a greater use of tools that is starting to grease the wheels of collaboration internally at law firms, to so making it easier to communicate, to share knowledge, to set, share documents, to share know-how, you know, to track data, to visualize data, you know, putting everyone in a in a kind of completely um, transparent picture about what is happening happening across a team, across a, a practice group, across a, a matter or a project. So, you know, I think that's, um, you know, that's definitely what we're seeing, that they've got a great use of technology to to just get people out of email and working with tools that are designed for collaboration in the modern law firm, not tools that were designed, you know, for people to send emails 10, 15 years ago.
1: Yeah, that's a great way to look at it, Like. Lawyers love the hell out of Outlook. It's so true. (laughs) But get beyond Outlook.
2: yeah. all circulating things by, you know, circulating data or updates by, you know, in in a Word document or in an Excel document, you know, all of which is, you know, unstructured data, um, but is all relevant. Um, And it's all all siloed in people's uh, inboxes, on desktops. Where is that single source of truth? Where's that central point that everyone can go to access all the information they need? you know, across their firm or across their team or across their project group. At the moment, it doesn't really exist. And that's, you know, that's what, what we try and endeavor to do is, is give that single source of truth, give
3: that platform to yeah. allow people to, to collaborate. I often describe email as a as a black hole of knowledge you know it's it's kind of where knowledge goes to die because the problem with email whilst it's mm-hmm. a great way of collaborating on a kind of one to one basis the the issue is that um you know only the people that sent it and the people that received it know it exists um you know unless you're putting it somewhere else and in a kind of knowledge sharing uh, you know uh, platform or, or some way that it, it's discoverable then it's it's not you know, of any value to anyone else. So by using a a kind of collaborative system, um, you know, and a a system that's inherently sort of social in the sense that it captures knowledge as you're working, you can kind of share, capture and share knowledge as you're being productive, as you're getting your work done on a a daily basis.
1: Yes, Stuart, that is a great way to describe email. I'm smiling pretty broadly right now. The black hole of all knowledge. That's good stuff. Um, So let's talk a little bit about law firm culture because I think that comes into play here. And I also did tease that a little bit when we were talking about this episode title. What kind of cultures required from Stewart to implement technology effectively? And like, how should managing partners engage that discussion and then start to act on what they want to do?
3: Yeah, it's. Um, I guess this is the biggest the biggest question of all, really, um, because uh, you know you can put all the technology you like in place, uh, but unless the the culture is there, unless people are prepared to change prepared to think a bit differently work a bit differently you know any piece of technology that you put in will will fall flat on its face so the culture is crucial and the, and the change management is crucial i think for me it all starts with first of all realizing that you probably need to change and the, and the firm needs to change its mindset the, the way that it thinks about how it works internally the way that it thinks about how it engages with its clients externally and it has to kind of make that switch from from thinking you know that that email and word documents attached to emails is a good way of collaborating to realizing that that's perhaps a problem and that there's a better way of working once that realization's happened then you've got to be open to to some degree of change and you know uh, there there are many aspects to collaboration it, it's not just communication which is fundamentally uh, what email is is actually working with your, you know, with your colleagues, with your clients in a kind of more transparent way. As Rob said, capturing everything in a kind of central um, source of of truth. Um, it's actually using collaboration tools to run projects and you know standardize processes and to kind of increase transparency around project progress and status and all these types of things. So, and it all starts with culture and and change management and understanding that you need to change there are better ways of working you need to modernize and you just can't stick to kind of the old ways that have that have worked for you for the last 20 years there, there is a better way and if you can open your mind to that then i think you've made the first
1: step totally like i, I usually talk to law firms and tell them that like inertia is like the killer of everything they want to do because it takes over
3: and- yeah absolutely uh, I, I think mm. cultural inertia in particular is is probably the biggest barrier to to change and innovation uh, across the industry without without a doubt.
1: Yeah, absolutely. All right, so Rob, let's turn back to you for a second here and talk about something that law firms, I think, fixate on, the pitfalls of adopting new technology. I think culturally Mm -hmm. there are issues to overcome in law firm, but also this is a problem as well because – Lawyers understand that, generally speaking, when you're adopting a new technology, there's something of a productivity dip that starts once you're learning how to use it and apply it in your system. And then there's a payoff, but sometimes the payoff is eventual. And even if that payoff is like two, three months down the road um, and not necessarily immediate as you learn how to use technology, that's difficult for some lawyers to accept. So like, how do you talk to lawyers about adding new technology avoiding pitfalls and just sticking with it
2: yeah for me it
1: kind of falls
2: into two camps it's kind of the pitfalls in approaching uh, procuring technology and it's the pitfalls that are there in deploying technology and i think some of these we've obviously already touched on but in terms of the, the kind of pitfalls in terms of procuring technology i think too often law firms tend to fixate on perhaps some of the newest shiniest technology that's out there on the market so they'll look at you know, AI tools, because that, that's the flavor of the month right now. So they'll they'll think they need to go and buy some AI. And then they'll try and retrospectively fit that into some process they have internally, thinking it's going to be a kind of a, you know, a magic wand and, and fix some of their, their kind of productivity and, and, and value uh, drivers. And that's not the case. And it comes back to, you know, starting with the problem, starting with the pain point. And I think that's that's one of the ways of overcoming pitfalls is to start not with the technology, but to identify what challenges are your firm or your client facing? And then thinking about how you can intelligently l- use technology. If technology is, is at all applicable, looking at how you can use technology to, to relieve and overcome some of those challenges and pitfalls. So making sure you're actually solving genuine problems is the first way. And I think also it's about involving a you know, the, the broad group of people like clients and other lawyers right across the board from partner down to you know, even secretary and PA who are going to be involved in this program and use the technology and involve them in that process as well. And then there's also the, the kind of, if you do go through that process and select the right tool and deploy a useful piece of technology, it isn't just a case of just throwing it into the business and thinking, great, we've, we've identified something great. It's gonna have a huge impact. There's so much legwork to do once you deploy technology, you know, and it goes back to making sure it stays relevant and, and people are trained on it. They know how to use it. There's a support system in place. There's a, there's a mechanism to take feedback. So that you can learn by what's working, and what's not working, and feed that back into the process to improve the tool and improve the service that you're providing. So, just to summarise, kind of tackling the challenges and the pain points, involving a broad group of people and stakeholders, and making sure they're supported. And, and once rollouts there, and making sure you iterate and improve going forward, so you're not just kind of static at one point in time. And I think if you can do that, that's how you really overcome you know some of the some of the pitfalls of of, of tech deployment. I think.
1: Yeah, I think Stuart talked about this briefly as well, which is like this idea of transparency. And I like how your approach is that you involve all the stakeholders or as many stakeholders as possible to make the best decisions.
2: Exactly. Because as otherwise, Yeah, I've heard this before. One of the main reasons people will not use technology is because they don't feel like they were included in the process of selecting that technology. Now, I know you can't involve an entire firm. But there's no better way to switch people off from technology if it was just procured by you know a handful of people who have just decided what's best for the firm, at least kind of solicit input from from a broad group of people so that you're tying the, the decision you make around technology back to a broad range of views within the business. If you don't do that, then it's easy for people to say, "I wouldn't have chosen that tool, so I'm not going to use it."
3: And importantly, I think as well, um, particularly when you're designing solutions for clients, make sure the client is involved in those conversations and part of that yep. process. I don't mean your clients should choose your your technology for you, but once you've chosen your technology, as you're saying, Rob, you know, you're designing solutions that that are solving problems and those problems will be often be clients' problems, not just your own. So make sure the client's in the room with you when you're discussing those solutions and when you're designing those solutions and they're, they're part of that kind of co-design process
1: yeah. Now that's a great approach. I think you guys are spot on as far as this is concerned. And this is a good spot to take our second break. We're talking with Stuart Barr and Rob McAdam of IQ. Um Let's take our break and catch our collective breath. Now, listen to some more words from our sponsors. Imagine billing day being the happiest day of the month instead of the day you dread. Nobody went to law school because they love drafting invoices for clients. At TimeSolve, our attorneys save on average over eight hours a month in billing work. That means more billable time and turning billing day into happy day. Learn more about how to get to your time and billing happy place at TimeSolve.com. That's wwwt Remember, that's T-I-M-E-S-O-L-V.com. If you're missing calls, appointments, and potential clients, it's time to work with Nexa Professional. More than just an answering service, Nexa's virtual receptionists are available 24-7 to schedule appointments, qualify leads, respond to emails, integrate with your firm's software, and much, much more. Nexa ensures your clients have the experience they deserve. Give them a call at 800-267-9371 or visit them at nexa.com forward slash podcast for a very special offer. All right, thanks for coming back once more. I hope you enjoyed your Castrillo sandwich. I know I did. Now let's get back to our conversation with Stuart Barr and Rob McAdam of IQ. We're talking about what technology looks like in, let's call it a modern law firm. All right, Stuart, let's kick it off with you this time. This notion of a legal hub, and we talked about lack of silos before, transparency. How would you describe this idea of a legal hub? So I think
3: when we talk about legal hubs, what we really mean is a kind of a a place where you know, both internal and external people can come together. So, you know, uh, a practicing attorney internally and a client externally, and, you know, multiples of those can come together in a central place to get work done fundamentally. And, you know, at HiQ, we we try to bring as many of the kind of the facets of, of work together as possible, whether that's, you know, sharing a document or reporting on the status or billing and financial information, or whether that's actually, you know, managing tasks and and other things, bring that together into a central hub that you can all go to as the, as we've said a couple of times already on this call, I guess the single source of the truth. But importantly, well, you know, we know that, you know, we certainly can't do everything. And there are other really important systems that we need to integrate with, uh, you know, whether that's uh, you know, systems of record like Active Directory for onboarding and offboarding users or pulling in financial data from from internal practice management systems, or whether it's, you know, transactional tools, things like, you know, uh, signing a a document using DocuSign um, or, you know, syncing documents into iManage or NetDocuments or other systems that we need to integrate with as part of the kind of the legal tech ecosystem. So for us, the concept of the legal hub means kind of being at the center of all of that and building capabilities yourselves, but then integrating with the other core capabilities in the whole legal tech landscape so that you can provide this holistic, integrated, kind of unified solution uh, and experience for, for end users, um, rather than the alternative, to, which is going off and having to you know, leverage lots of different point solutions that solve individual problems. Um, the problem with that, of course, is that users have to context switch uh, and, you know, learn how to use different systems and, you know, IT have to administer and deploy different systems. So if you can bring all that together into one hub and integrate through a unified experience, you're going to get much greater productivity, efficiency, and hopefully ultimately adoption by all of your users.
1: Yeah. And I think this is a great segue. Um, So Rob, let's talk about this notion. What do you view as the benefits of managing a software platform or using a software platform in a law firm Versus instead using all these various disconnected legal or non-legal softwares.
2: Yeah, no, it's good. it's a good question, and and you know, just touching back on that that presentation I originally gave back at the Haiku forum, the presentation title was Digital Lego, because that's essentially what I saw Haiku as as a client. It was a it was a digital set of Lego that allowed me as a client to get creative, to take all the features and functions the functionality that was available within the platform and construct solutions. Uh, you know, across a range of different areas, practice groups, teams, jurisdictions. So, you know, for me, the benefit of a platform is you're, you know, you have to find budget once, and you have to go through a procurement process once, not you know, ten different times to buy ten different solutions. You know, and if you've got an ecosystem that is built up of various different tools, you've got the challenge there of knitting it together, because obviously you don't want to create data silos. So then you've got to, you've got the challenge of trying to bring those systems together and make them tie in together. Um, because you know the big focus right now is actually collating data and centralizing data so you can drive better insight and analysis and data-driven decision making. So you know you don't have to go through that knitting together process with a platform. It's it is already there. You've got one platform that can ch- tackle multiple different solutions. But you know as. As Stu said, all these platforms you know, want to play nice. They want to integrate as well uh, as we do and others do. So there is the option there of, of seamlessly integrating with some of the tools. But ultimately, you're doing everything within one platform, one unified experience, one area where data is being collected and you're driving insight and analysis. And I think, you know, for me as a client, perhaps the, the, the biggest attraction to a platform um, and, and a tool like, you know, that is essentially like a set of digital Lego is that it actually democratizes creativity. You know, It allows people within the business to have an idea. And you've got a tool there that can easily be be customized and, and deployed to try and solve different challenges. So it's, it allows for speed of solutionizing, speed of value delivery within the firm without then having to go back out to go and look for another tool to try and deliver your, your creative idea. You've got the kit available to you to just take it be creative experiment and that's got to be good for firms i think the more experimentation the more creativity the better and that's going to be where the differentiation comes
1: lawyers being creative are you sure
2: uh, absolutely <laughs> no, absolutely i mean i'm a skeptic a lot of people talk about do lawyers need to learn to code and should they be yeah. developing their own software you know i taught myself to code but that wasn't because i, I thought i needed to be a lawyer that, that could code it was actually to try and escape the law um, as, as an alternative career path, I, if lawyers don't want to learn to code, they don't have to. I think it's actually it's it's all about being uh, empathetic, being creative, trying to be um, to discover challenges and pain points, and that's where you know that's where the ideas come from. So I think it's it's more about encouraging inquisitive um, lawyers and creative lawyers than it is encouraging coding lawyers.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, one thing that we're really trying to do at Haiku is, as Rob says, democratize some of the the power of of technology by making it available in a kind of a a no-code application build type environment. So you don't need to know, you know, Rob Rob started coding and and that was one of the reasons he's able to leverage the power of the Haiku platform. Actually, that was a few years ago. And since then, we've productized many of the advanced features, which make them much more accessible to non-technical users. And then as long as, uh, like Rob says, as long as they've got that creativity and they can you know, look at a business problem and then leverage the right pieces of that digital Lego building blocks, uh, leverage the right pieces, they can solve lots and lots of different problems. So marrying kind of that that legal knowledge and that problem solving ability with uh, a great technology toolkit and you can solve pretty much any problem.
2: Yeah. It's what Stu and I talk about very regularly which is that concept of the legal engineer. I think that's that's what we need more of in the legal industry. It's those lawyers that that span kind of different disciplines. They are creative, they are technical in terms of the law, they are familiar with technology but not necessarily, you know, deep deeply familiar in in terms of kind of coding. I think it's those kind of those different skills that come together to kind of create those legal engineers. And I think the more law firms can leverage those types of people, the more likely they are to to succeed uh, at their kind of innovation
3: goals and their transformation goals. Certainly. And and I guess the most creative clients that we see tend to be the ones that do do achieve the most uh, transformation and innovation because they have that that blend of legal, technical, and creativity that uh, that really allows them to to move the needle and and genuinely change the way they deliver legal services to their clients and actually create new types, completely new new types of products and services that they offer to their clients.
1: All right, Stuart, you get the sixty thousand dollar question here. Law firms looking to implement new technology in their practices. What guideposts should they be looking for? Uh, How should they start, basically?
3: Uh, I think we touched on this earlier on, actually. And I think the, the crucial thing is start with the problem, not with the technology. So, you know, don't go out there looking for technology and then buy technology and then start trying to find problems to solve. Do it absolutely the other way around. You know, start by identifying what are the areas that you need to try and change? You know, where are you finding inefficiencies or where are you, uh, you know, looking for for new ways of working or new new products or services that you want to deliver to your clients? Start with those business challenges, then go out and try and find the right, you know, technology or technologies that you can use to, to solve those problems. So that's absolutely the starting point. And I think, you know, Rob said this earlier on that, you know, we do see people going out and just wanting to tick you know, boxes and say, "Oh, yeah, we have AI, we have workflow, we have data visualization, we have this, we have that," which is great, but it doesn't solve your problems. You know, what solves your problem is careful understanding of of what that problem is, and then a, a good process to design a solution um, with the right combination of people, process, and technology, and those legal engineers that Rob referred to, and the digital Lego technical building blocks, and you put all of that together. And that is how you will be successful at, you know, modernizing and transforming your firm into what we refer to as a, as a smart law firm.
1: Excellent. Um, I think that's really great. So no, no new shiny objects, right? Avoid those.
3: Well, yeah, but by all means, um, you know, buy some shiny objects, but just make sure you're making the most of the ones you've already got before you go and buy some new ones. You know, that's the other thing that we see uh, a lot of is, uh, you know, firms buying technology for buying technology's sake. And actually they have a whole toolkit, a whole armory of tech that they've already bought that is not yet being fully leveraged. Um, and so I would say, make the most of what you've already got, um, identify the needs and, and fill those needs with new technology if you need to, but make sure you have a look at what's, what's already uh on the
1: boat awesome this has been really fun i appreciate you guys coming on and managing the time change here as i'm on the east coast of the united states and you folks are in england um and we've reached the end of yet another episode of the legal toolkit podcast this was a podcast about technology structure and organization within law firms and we've been talking with Stuart barr and rob McAnam of hiq now i'll be back on future shows with further insights into my soul the soul of America, and maybe now England too, we'll see, and the legal market. If you're feeling nostalgic for my dulcet tones, however, you can check out our entire show archive anytime you want at legaltalknetwork.com. So thanks again to Stuart Barr and Rob McAdam of Q for making appearances as my guests today. All right, Stuart and Rob, can you tell everyone how they can find out more about Q And Stuart, I'll let you start.
3: Sure. Yeah. I mean, the most obvious way is to go to our website. You go to highq.com. that's H-I-G-H-Q. Um, and you can see about our solutions and offerings for for private practice law firms, but also our in-house offerings for corporate legal teams as well.
1: Awesome. Rob, do you have anything to add to that?
3: No. Like she said,
2: go and check out the website. Lots of information there. Some good case studies in there as well if you want to see how other firms are, are leveraging HighQ, But I think uh, that's the definitely the place to start.
1: All right. So thanks again to Stuart Barr and Rob McAdam of HiQ. Finally, thanks to all of you out there for listening. This has been the Legal Toolkit podcast where the only thing we have to fear is fear itself, uh, that, and the Russell's Python.
0: Thanks for listening to Legal Toolkit, produced by the broadcast professionals at Legal Talk Network. Join host Jared Correa for his next podcast covering the current business trends for law firms. If you'd like more information about today's show, please visit legaltalknetwork.com. Subscribe via iTunes and RSS. Find Legal Talk Network on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Or download the free app from Legal Talk Network in Google Play and iTunes.